The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, and we are wrapping up a series we've been doing since February uh, called What Matters Most. You can kind of see it all around me here. So what we've been doing is we've been looking at um, some amazing truths that are found in the book of John, John 13 through 17. And I've been calling this the most important team meeting that's ever happened in the history of the world. Because in, in these chapters, Jesus is teaching his disciples, it's kind of like a summary of all the things he's been showing them and teaching them in three years with them. And so uh, there's a sense of urgency to this meeting because right after this meeting ends, Jesus uh, is arrested, he's put on trial, he's crucified. He rises again from the dead, but then he ascends into heaven. And so a lot of what's happening at this meeting around the table with his team uh, is, is he's going through the kind of the checklist. Like, guys, if you really want to see God move in your lives and through you, uh, then these things need to be in place in your life. These are the essentials. And so what we've been doing is trying to picture ourselves at that table as well. And we're at that team meeting Because this isn't just a history lesson. This isn't just looking at what Jesus did back then. Uh, Jesus is inviting us around this table too. And uh, if we want to see God work in our lives, if we want to see him work in our marriages and in our families and in our community and for God to move through us, then these essentials really need to be uh, a part of our lives. And so uh, just picture yourself. We're going to start the morning here and then we're going to end back here at this table this morning, but I want you to picture that. You are at the table, and so as Jesus is talking, I mean, just imagine you're across the table from from God, the Son of God. You've seen him walk on water. You've seen him heal people. You've seen him teach, and just crowds of people show up. I mean, these last three years of your life have been radically different than anything you've ever had happen to you before, that uh, what it means to know God and walk with God have been just totally flipped for you. This isn't about a religion. It's not about a bunch of rules. It's about that guy right there across the table from you. It's about Jesus. And as he's toning, you know, tuning up the intensity here and the, the concept that he's leaving and that he's leaving this ministry, he's kind of like giving you the keys to keep going. There has to be a sense of I don't know. Like, are you sure, Jesus? Do you have the right guy around this table? And, and so I don't know if that's been happening to you as, as we look at these, these principles and, and we keep saying, you know, God's inviting you into this. God wants to do things in your life. There, there ought to be a part of us where our knees buckle and we go, I'm, I'm not really, really sure we can do this, but um, there's some amazing truths I want us to grab today. So I, when, I don't know if your parents have some embarrassing little kid pictures of you, but some of my most embarrassing pictures are from when I was like, I don't know, three, four, five. I used to want to be Batman, and I don't know why Batman, uh, but even one year they got me for birthday or Christmas, one of those things you put over your head with a cowl or whatever. That's, I'm not a big superhero guy, but that thing he puts on his head, like, it freaked me out, so I never, I think I put it on once. And that was it. But my, the way I would compensate for that is I'd get a towel and paper clip it or uh, clothes pin it right here and just go around the house like I'm Batman, right? So, but as I got older, I realized Batman was a bad choice because Batman, I don't, I don't think Batman has that much to him if he doesn't wear his belt, right? If he doesn't have his utility belt, 
Batman's basically worthless, right? So here's his cartoon here, where let's see if he's got something in his belt for that. You know, like, there's Superman just like, boom, right through his head, right there. So you got anything in your belt for that, Batman? But if you don't, so, but my point with that is, you know, we uh, are called into this amazing thing by Jesus to go and live for him. And he warns us that if we try to do this on our own, uh, it's going to utterly fail. And so he, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you stay close to me, uh, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And so what we're going to do this morning is I, I really feel like John 13 to 17 is like a gold mine with with a ton of great truths for us. And so we're going to do an overview, just a survey of what we've seen uh, in these weeks. And again, the whole context here is Jesus is saying, I would love to unleash you into your marriage, your family, your friendships, your dorm, your classrooms, your school, just to go live out the life that God has for you to live. So let's just make sure we've, we know we're not just flying out there and doing it on our own, but we're going with these, these six essentials that, that Jesus is giving us. So let me pray that we're going to look at these uh, together. So uh, Jesus, thank you. What a great privilege it is to be uh, in your house today, to be worshiping you. Um, this is the day we commemorate when you rode into Jerusalem and people laid palms before you as you were riding in and they were praising your name. But we know just a few days afterwards, they were yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. And so we're dialing in on what you did with your team on that, what would have been Thursday night, as you gathered them around a table and you laid out to them the essentials that you want to see in their lives. God, just help us realize we're around that table now too, and that you're speaking to us. And so I pray that these truths would be real in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, um, John 13 is where we're going to start. You have an outline in your bulletin. You can pull that out and follow along. That might help you. But in John 13, Jesus starts this most important team meeting in the history of the world in an astonishing way. John 13 verses uh, 2, and we're going to jump to 5, say this, that Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. He took a towel. He tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus immediately just got up and started washing feet. It was, I mean, that sounds disgusting today. It was even more so back then. You wore sandals, dirt roads, feet were especially nasty. And so this was something that you would maybe even hire a servant to come in and do. You wouldn't want any of your friends to do this. You wouldn't want to do this. And so maybe you'd wash your own or you'd bring in somebody else to do this. A very degrading job. And so from the get-go, Jesus is setting a tone on this team meeting. He says, you're going to be part of this team. He told us, told these guys earlier, he said, uh, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus tried to make it clear, as he taught him many times before, that whoever's the greatest among you will be the servant of all. And so the way he pictures that right away for them is that he washes their feet. And it's interesting, in John 13, 3, John gave us some insight. Well, what set, free, what set Jesus free to do this? Interesting parenthetical thought, but he said this. He said, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God, rose from supper, and then it goes on and says that he washed feet. So uh, Jesus realized God had given him everything. Like, he didn't come to this earth uh, to get stuff from us. He didn't come as a taker, but Jesus came as a giver because he had been already given all that he needed in his relationship with his Father. 
And so Jesus also knew that's why he came. It was his mission. And he knew that he was going to return to the Father. And what's interesting is that Jesus said, if you're in my team, the same things are true about you. Jesus said many times, all the things that the Father has given me, now I've given to you. Like if you are in relationship with Jesus, you are so fully supplied that you can be set free to live your life, not as a taker, but as a giver. You don't need to manipulate people to meet your needs. Uh, you can just be set free to serve them and meet their needs. We are, we are called to be servants. And so just like for Jesus, the same is true for us. Uh, and what I, I've, when we've talked about this over the past weeks, I just thank God for a church where I see many examples of people serving. The other night I had the privilege of meeting with prospective deacons and deaconesses and elders and and. As we were going around and some, some of the guys were sharing why do they want to be deacons, it was really cool. There's a guy that's only been in the area for about five years. He served as a deacon for a few years. Last year was really busy at work, so he stepped back for a year. But he said, you know what? When I was out for that year, I just felt like something was missing. Like I, I just enjoyed just stepping in and helping and, and being part of the church. That's an awesome attitude. And, and that's just a clear sign of somebody that's on Team Jesus, that uh, if you're on staff here, if you uh, are a pastor here, if you're an elder, deacon, deaconess, this isn't for, this isn't just for you. Like you're here to serve and really that extends. And member here, you don't come to church on Sunday saying, oh, what are they going to do for me today? It's like, how can I serve today? Or anybody that's following Jesus, that ought to be our DNA, that wherever we show up, it's not like, what are they going to do for me? It's like, I am so supplied in Jesus. Who can I help? Who can I serve? Who can I encourage? It was fun a few years ago when my girls were in junior high. We were sitting through, um, I mean, enjoying one of those concerts where like all this, you know, the different choirs are getting on and singing and all that. So and it was cool. But um, in about the middle of it, they said, um, hey, we need some people to come up and slide risers around. And so I think what I jumped at was the chance to get up, like, and to go do something and maybe not just, you know, watch scores on my phone or something. So, but it's cool. I'm just getting up there like, oh, I get to do something. You know? So I'm up there. It was really cool. As I get up there, I look and I notice there's Bob and there's Craig and there's John, like these are all like dads from Parkview. It's like we're in an auditorium filled with parents, but like maybe they're all the same motives I did. I'm going to give them better motives. They were there to serve and to help out. But it's really cool to see, not just within these walls, but throughout the community, so many examples of, of how you guys are just stepping up and serving. Um, this was sad, but about 10 years ago, I remember reading a survey where they asked in the survey, who would you least like to have move next door to you? Like, who would you least like to have for a neighbor? And right after, it seems like right after drug dealer or something like that, like number two or number three on the list was evangelical Christian. It's like, oh, stink. You know, like you read that and it was because they're going to be hypocritical or they're going to act like they're better than you. They're going to be shoving their faith on you, all that kind of stuff. And I was just, I remember reading that thinking like, man, wouldn't it be, it should be flipped. Like it should be, man, I hope a Christian moves next door to me because those people, those are the people that shovel your walk. Like they're going to mow my grass and I'm gone. Hopefully not scalp it like I did my neighbors last summer. Um, they're going to watch our kids. They're going to bring us meals when we're sick. Like just, I want that. Like that's, you know, true followers of Christ are going to be known as, as people who serve. And Jesus said, if you want to see the gospel move forth in your family, uh, in your neighborhood, in your school, it's going to be as you serve, just like Jesus has served us. And so you've got to serve. He'll, he'll serve us. He'll empower us to do that. Another key essential here is that we love like Jesus loved. In John 13, 34, he said, a new command I give to you, that you love one another 
even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Uh, Pastor Doug Fern spoke on that passage from, for us a few weeks ago, and he, he taught us that in the Old Testament, there already was the command to love one another. But what was new here was the new standard of love. Jesus said, I want you to love like I've loved you. So, you know, what? because we are, we're, in fact, next weekend for Easter services, that's our theme. If you saw the signs when you came in, it's so loved. We're just going to focus on the love of God shown through Christ. So I echo what Paul said earlier, invite some folks, because I think even us who come to church every week, I just don't think we understand the amount of love God has poured on us. And the more we understand the love of God, the more our lives are flipped, the more we're set free. And so we just have so far to go still to understand how how great God's love for us. And in fact, the Bible says, and we're so bad at defining love in different ways. We dumb down love. But Jesus said a new command is, I want you to love like I have loved you. In fact, there's a verse in the Bible several times in the New Testament when it says, this is what love is. It makes a beeline to the cross. And so as this week you're getting ready uh, for Easter, especially on Good Friday when we reflect on the cross, that's what love is. In a world that's confused about what it means to love, you look at the cross. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. So Jesus loved us when we were his enemies. We were sinners. We didn't deserve it. There was nothing in us that he died to get. You know, we've said this before, but it's not like Jesus looks around the room and goes, man, I'm really lacking in this area. I could sure use you to help me. You know, or you, you know just, we had nothing to offer him. In fact, we were his enemies doing exactly what he didn't want us to do. We were sinful. And yet in that condition, Jesus still died for us. That's the essence of the gospel. That's the love of God put on display. So Jesus says, when you truly get that, when you truly get that, it just it transforms how you live. You need to, then he said, by this all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You will so stand out in this world if you live with that kind of love. The love you are receiving from Christ sets you free to love one another in that way. And that'll make the clear statement to this world that you follow Jesus. The surest way you demonstrate to your neighbors, friends at school, whatever it is, clearest way you demonstrate that you know Jesus is that you'll love like he loved us. So Jesus said, you gotta, that's the second one, you serve, you love. And it's interesting, serving and loving are just kind of like hand in glove. In fact, the first part of chapter 13, it says that Jesus uh, showed them the fullness of his love, or he loved them to the uttermost, and so he got up and served. And so you don't dissect those two. Those two are just hand in glove. Uh, God's love is active. It moves toward you know, it's not just a bunch of well-wishing words. You're actually moving in to serve and to meet needs. So love and serve. The third one, Jesus, it's in John 14. Jesus uh, encouraged his followers to believe in him. He warns us many times in John 13 to 17 that hard times are coming. John 14, 1, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He's very clear in here. He says things like, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they uh, hated you, it's because they hated me first. He uh, said a few other things. He said, for example, that in the world you will find tribulation. And that word tribulation was a loaded word. It could mean disease or sickness or hardship or just, you know, again, persecution. 
all those things could come at you. And so if you thought or you were told that when you start following Jesus, everything's going to get easy and smooth, then you, whoever told you that must not have read this section. Because Jesus warns his people, it is going to be hard. But what's amazing is through these sections, he's given us things that we can cling to, truths that we could cling to because in God's story a lot of times he'll take his people into adversity so that in that situation his life shines out just bright again just like loving somebody is radical in this world somebody who can have joy in the midst of adversity is ra- something's going on there it makes everybody lean in and go what do you have uh, that I don't have so here's some things that in this section Jesus gave us some promises we can cling to when we're going through adversity. Let's read a couple of these out loud. See if you can do better than eight o'clock. They kind of like mumble them. Okay, so let's read them out loud together here. John 16, 33, let's read it together. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Okay, go to the next one. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Awesome. He's going to give us peace in the midst of hardship. Let's look at this one. Read it again. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Love that last one. So in the midst of adversity, you're getting this sense like, cry out to me in the midst of that. Ask for my peace. And I will give you peace that you're not going to find anywhere else on the planet. What's interesting is sometimes I think we sense God's peace in the most intense forms when we're going through adversity way more than we do when things are going great. Like we're just kind of sailing along. We're kind of, oh yeah, God, thanks a lot. But like when you're in the midst of adversity and that's, he's all you got and he's all you're clinging to and you still have peace in the midst of that, you so know where that peace is coming from. It's not coming from your circumstances. It's coming straight from him. And so that's what Jesus says, my peace that this world can't give you. It's the real deal that hits even in the midst of adversity. And I love that invitation in John 16, 24. It says, until now, you've not really asked for anything in my name. He said that whole in my name thing means that when you start talking to God, you say, hey, I'm asking this by Jesus' permission. He said I could ask you for this. Could you give me joy even in the midst of what I'm going through. Can you help me endure this adversity? Again, what an amazingly powerful statement it is when people face intense hardship and opposition and they still have passion and they still have joy. That makes the world perk up and go, what do you got that I don't have? We looked at this that week. It was right after um, the tragic beheading of those followers of Jesus from Egypt that were living in Libya at the time. And so we looked at this document that was called Two Rows by the Sea. It was written by Egyptian Christians just 36 hours after 21 of their countrymen, fellow believers in Christ, were all beheaded. They wrote this document and spread 1.65 million copies of this booklet throughout Egypt. And it says things like this. Again, it talks about two rows. The row in orange would be the captives, the Christians who were beheaded, and the row in black, the ISIS terrorists. And they said this in this document. Who fears the other? The row in orange, watching paradise open, or the row in black with minds evil and broken? Two rows of men walked the shore of the sea on a day when the world's tears would run free. One was a row of assassins, who thought they did right, the other of innocence, true sons of the light, one holding knives 
in hands held high, the other with hands empty, defenseless, and tied, one row of slits to conceal flaring dead eyes, the other with living eyes raised to the skies. One row stood steady, pallbearers of death, the other knelt ready, welcoming heaven's breath. One row spewed wretched, contemptible threats, while the other spread news that God gives peace and rest. And in the days that followed that, there was a a huge book fair in Cairo, the capital of Egypt. And right on a very prominent street, right next to this book fair, was this big poster, big sign that said, we learn from what the Messiah has said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And at that book fair, they distributed 7,000 copies of the New Testament and 17,000 versions of the Jesus video. Again, just seeing believers not cowering in fear in the face of adversity, but moving forward in passion and in joy and in confidence. So I have to ask us this morning, like again, this isn't history, this isn't just about other people, it's about us, but what's your greatest adversity that you're facing this morning? What is the greatest challenge that's making you doubt God or pull back or go passive? Like, what is it that God is calling you to do in spite of fill in the blank? Like, what is, what is the greatest challenge facing you right now? We need to understand that Jesus owns every square inch of this planet. He is in complete charge. Even every second of your life, he knows and he is aware of and he can use. And he invites his people that in the, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, put your faith in him, even when you are facing amazing, uh, amazing uh, adversity. So, you know, a lot of times God's way of putting his life on display is by allowing his people to walk through, through suffering. So, um, you know, a part of this Haiti story that these guys um, alluded to, um, but towards the end of their trip, and they're having a great time and all that, but right, it might even be the morning of their departure, they found out their flight change got flipped because there was an ice storm that was supposed to be coming into Atlanta. I guess it never happened. But the team got split into two, and some were able to get out early, but the others got, had to stay behind two days. And so I don't know what happens to you like when your little schedule gets flipped like that and God steps in and has something else. I, my tendency is to complain. Like, oh, come on. Like, hey, I'm busy. I got this plan. God, what are you doing? And so, but how awesome to hear that team talk about the things that happened because they stayed two more days. One was when you heard about the second water purification system going into another orphanage, that connection happened in those last two days. The other really cool connection was just in a casual conversation with Allie Trelor, who's been living there with the orphans for the last couple years. When she heard that bleach was a byproduct of the water purification process, she just lit up and said, wait a minute, do you know bleach is, is a commodity here? Like people pay good money for bleach. And so the, the wheels turned and now they got another system there, mostly to produce more bleach. And so what they're hoping to do now is hire 10 of these young moms that are trying to care for families on their own, but give them employment and sustainability and a job. All that happened as the crew was there for the last day or two. So I just, again, adversity to us seems to be an interruption. Hey God, my script was smooth life, like easy, everything's good, but just how God uses the adversity. I had a good friend of mine sitting right there last hour, and cancer uh, is in his life now. It was part of the script he didn't write. But just to see how many people have met Jesus because of that has been, has been astonishing. So Jesus says you will face uh, adversity, but 
but I have overcome the world. I will give you joy in the midst of it, okay? So believe, serve, love. The next one uh, is to rely on the Holy Spirit. If you look throughout John 14, 15, 16, Jesus spoke a lot about the Holy Spirit. The first time he did is in John 14, verse 16. He said this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Uh, It's fascinating. Jesus, they knew it was starting to sink into them that Jesus was leaving. And so you can imagine the fear. You don't want to be left alone. You don't want to be given this big challenge of carrying on the ministry. But then, wait, Jesus, you're not going to be here? How's this going to work? And so he said, my spirit, who is just like me, the Holy Spirit, fully God, is going to come and be with you. In fact, in John 16, he said he's going to be in you. And in John 16 is where Jesus said, it is better for you that I leave so that the Holy Spirit could come and live in you. That's, that's I mean, I, I still would vote Jesus with me, but that's only because I don't understand, like I should, what it means that the Holy Spirit is in me. And so, I mean, as you look at me, and there's not much to look at here, okay? I'm just a guy, right? And so, but what's phenomenal, if you believe what the Bible is teaching here and what Jesus said, is that anybody who has a relationship with Jesus, the spirit of the living God lives in you. Like he's, he's there. And so that, sometimes that truth plagues me. Because I think, well, shouldn't that be a little more obvious than maybe it is? Or shouldn't people maybe be seeing something different in me if the the Spirit of God, the God who created everything, the God who is almighty and all-powerful and loving, like, He's living in me. Like, shouldn't, shouldn't that be a little clearer to everybody? And so that is a good challenge to ask yourself, if you follow Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit's in you, to ask that question, what evidence is there? What has happened in my life recently that can be only explained by the fact that the Spirit of Almighty God lives in me? That word that Jesus used, comforter, I will send you another. Sometimes it's helper, comforter. There's a lot of different uh, translations for that word in different versions of the Bible. And when you see that happen, you know that this is a complex word. The Greek word was paraclete, that I will send you a paraclete. Um, It literally was used a lot of times in the legal sense, that like an attorney would, would be called a paraclete, somebody who would come alongside you, who would defend you, who would be at your side, um, and who would speak truth for you on your behalf, like a legal advocate. And it's really interesting. That's, that's a great summary of what the Holy Spirit wants to do for you, that he is in it's the Spirit of God in you, and one of his roles is to remind you of who you are and to defend that. Look at Romans 8. These verses will be up on the screen. Romans eight fifteen. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I wonder if Jesus just knew in, in his wisdom that we would need the Holy Spirit in us to keep reminding us that God is our Father. That word Abba was what a chi- little child would use calling out to Daddy, that we can be intimate with God, that we can cry out at any time, that as Jesus may be leaving, uh, leaving his team, the Holy Spirit is within them reminding them that they can go to God at any time. Like just, to, just that presence of the Holy Spirit to constantly remind you if you're in Christ 
that you're a son of God, that you're a daughter of God. He loves you. He loves to hear from you. And you look at the other descriptions that the Holy Spirit will lead you, he'll encourage you, he'll give you comfort, and he'll remind you of what Jesus taught. He'll help you know what is true. If you remember in John 16, we're at the, at, towards the end of this meeting, I wonder if Jesus saw their eyes starting to glaze over, maybe like some of yours are now with me, but just starting to glaze over. And he said, um, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is going to remind you. I have so, he said, I have so many more things to teach you, but the Holy Spirit will remind you of what I have taught. What a, what a great gift the Holy Spirit is for us to, to empower us, to remind us of who God is that in our relationship with him, but also to keep reminding us of what's true and to keep bringing to mind things that Jesus has taught. So in the midst of a hard time, I don't know if there's been those times for you where it's just, it's been a hard week or there's some tough things going on and you're just reminded of a promise from God. And that's, that's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Or if there's times where you're given a chance to talk about Jesus and who he is and you know, you don't know what to say. And then these words come out. That's the Holy Spirit. We used an analogy that Sunday. We talked about the Holy Spirit, that he's like a spotlight, that he shines the spotlight on Jesus. You won't see in the Bible the Holy Spirit demanding our worship and our attention, but he shines the spotlight on Jesus. So anytime you want to learn more about who Jesus is and what he taught, anytime you want to be more like Jesus, anytime you want to tell people more about Jesus, you are in the Holy Spirit's sweet spot. That is exactly what he loves to do in our lives. And so when we shine the spotlight on Jesus, the Holy Spirit is right there to give us the power uh, to do that. So, so rely on the Spirit. Um, the fifth one there, Jesus gave us this amazing invitation in John 15, when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If anyone abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me, you can do nothing. That word abide was the same word that was used in that day of, of staying in a house. That just think about, um, hopefully this is a good picture for you, but when you think of home, home is a place of refuge and comfort and protection and hopefully laughter and, and joy that you take that word and that concept and Jesus says, I want to be that. I want to be that for you. I want you to just live. I want you to live in me. I want you to experience my protection, my joy, my comfort, my presence, my friendship. I just want you to be with me. And I, I, I've, I've shared this with you before, but I, that still blows me away about Jesus, that he doesn't just look at me and roll his eyes. And, ah, that's one of the guys I had to kind of go save, you know, and die for on the cross, that Schillinger guy, you know. So, but he, he, his invitation is, I want you with me. I want you to I want you to abide with me and that as we do that, then just like a vine and a branch, he's able to pour his life through us and we bear much fruit. And so husbands in your marriage, there's a need for fruit in your marriage. You just, you abide in Christ and you love your wife like Christ loved the church and you need that in your home. So dads, you serve, moms, you love your kids. You abide in Christ as you step in with your role as mom or dad and in a neighborhood that needs to see Jesus. You, you stay close to Jesus so that you can take Jesus, you know, model him as you go into your classroom or at work tomorrow, wherever it is. Jesus says, I want you to abide in me. And in that passage, it's interesting, there are two different times Jesus said, uh, here's how you abide in me. In John 15, 7, he said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, 
ask whatever you wish, and it'll be given to you. He equated abiding in him with abiding in his word. And so in um, John 15, 10, he said this, um, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands, and I abide in his love. And so practically speaking, the way you abide in Jesus is you obey what he said, is that you learn what he taught, and then you make sure your life is about putting it to practice. Whatever Jesus taught, you do, okay? So you obey it. And uh, maybe at a marriage conference before, maybe in premarital counseling, uh, there's something called the five love languages. There's an author named Gary Smalley that said in, in every relationship, friendship or marriage, there's really five ways we express love to each other or that we receive love. There's five love languages. And it's one is touch, one is gifts given, uh, one is words of encouragement, one is serving each other, doing things for each other, and uh, one is words of affirmation, okay? And so if you've never heard that before, maybe ask your friends or ask your spouse, which one of those is yours? In premarital counseling once, I had um, um, a woman say, I have all five of them. And I looked at the guy and I said, good luck. Yeah, you got to go. You got to pour all five of those out, okay? So, but if you were to ask Jesus, Jesus, what's your love language? Like, which one of those five ways would we express our love to you? I think Jesus would say, well, my love language is obedience, the way that I know you really love me and you really want me in your life is that you're going to obey me. You're going to, you're going to do what I ask. That's, that's powerful. So that's, that's an amazing invitation. Jesus wants us to abide in him. And the last one that he modeled for us is this whole concept of prayer. In John 17, right at the end of this meeting, it's like Jesus just started praying and he went into the longest recorded prayer that we have in the Bible. And so I'm imagining if I'm sitting around that team, I'm on that team and I'm hearing Jesus pray for me, how encouraging would that be? And so if you look at John 17, Jesus didn't just pray for his disciples, but he prayed for us too. He said, I'm going to pray for those who believe in me through the disciples' words. And so, well, what did Jesus pray for? He prayed that we would be united that we would stand together. He prayed that we would be protected from the evil one. He prayed that we would be set apart by his truth, that we would really live out his truth and that would make us different. And so uh, how encouraging it is to know not only that Jesus modeled prayer for us and Jesus said, you should pray like I pray, just talk to the Father at any time. We look at Romans 8 and we can know that even today, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying for us. And so if you're in the midst of hard times and adversity and whatever, just to know that this day, right now, Jesus is lifting up your needs to the Father. There's amazing comfort in that. And so with all of those truths, all those provisions, Jesus says, go. In fact, he, in that prayer in John 17, he said this to his Father, as you have sent me into the world, now I am sending them into the world. And so we are, the plan is, that we're around this table with the disciples. Jesus has taught us these are all things that are true for you. Now I want you to go. I want you to, to take the gospel, go into this world, and do the same things I was sent to do. Serve this world, love this world, show the gospel with this world, and watch God do great things through you. And so a great study, if you've never done this before, is to look at what happened with this team right after the meeting. So we'll be walking through some of this this week where after the meeting, Jesus was arrested, crucified. He rose again from the dead. He spent 40 days with these guys and then he ascended into heaven. And then you look at the book of Acts and what happened. These people that followed Jesus were described as average 
and ordinary. You know, not a great resume right there. They were average and ordinary, but they took what Jesus gave them and they lived it out. Acts 2.41 says that the first time they presented the gospel through Peter, a fisherman, that 3,000 people believed. In Acts 4.4, it says the movement grew to 5,000 people. In Acts 6, 7, it says that the word continued to spread, and even some of the priests, some of the religious leaders that persecuted Christ were starting to believe. In Acts 9, 31, it says that the movement continued to grow and to multiply. That means it, is, it wasn't just the disciples doing it. It means people they trained were now training others and spreading the word to others. It multiplied. And so that's God's intention. So we've just sat here and we've listened to these things for the last several weeks. He would love for us to embrace this, put it to practice, share it with others, and watch it multiply. If this is an average day, there will be 150,000 people around the world beginning to follow Jesus Christ. 16,000 of those will be Muslims in the continent of Africa. There are um, unprecedented ways that the gospel is moving into different Muslim countries like never before. In fact, three of the top 10 fastest growing countries with the gospel spreading are Nepal, are China, and even Saudi Arabia. God has done amazing things through this team of 11 because they clung to these essentials. They clung to what matters most. And I wanted to wrap up with this. We compiled a video, again, during this series, we've been hearing really awesome stories from you guys in this church. So on this video, you're going to hear just a few of these people just sharing what they've been seeing God do as they've employed what matters most. Let's look, let's look at this. What matters most is seeing how the Word of God can be attractive to people who don't even know Jesus. Over the past couple weeks, I've had the opportunity of sitting down with the two international students and just going from Genesis to places in the New Testament and explaining who God is, who Jesus is, and what is the gospel. And though they don't know the Lord yet, they're eager for more week in and week out. What matters most was that my Jewish mother, who was 96 and a half years old, would accept Jesus Christ as her Savior and that she would know that she was forgiven for all her sins and that she would have a place in heaven with him. And two weeks after our discussion, my mother passed away and she went to join Jesus, which gives us great comfort. What matters most is applying God's word to our lives. One example was my friend Chris, who went to the 24-7 men's retreat and then had an opportunity to apply that by meeting a guy at a bus stop and inviting him to 24-7. That same guy he met at the bus stop, I had to apply God's word when I shared the gospel with him the Thursday after that. He put his faith in Jesus, it was great, and I got to go home and talk to my family about it at the dinner table. Because of that conversation, then I got to lead my daughter Kate to Christ. Applying God's word to our life, that's what matters most. What matters most is seeing all generations come together to learn about God. And we got to see that this last week in Tucson over spring break as junior high kids were leading a Bible study with 70 and 80 year olds. And then at night they were leading kids days with kids that are seven and eight. It was awesome. What matters most is how children have been gaining a, an internal perspective. Uh, we've had lots of kids bringing their friends to the Iwana program on Wednesday night and also to our Sunday morning launch program, which is for fourth through sixth graders. And because of this, we've had lots of opportunities to share the gospel 
and we've seen over seven children come to know the Lord. So what matters most is being able to share our story. Uh, we were at the University of Iowa hospitals and my husband was receiving treatment and we met a couple who we became friendly with over the course of several weeks and they asked us what the secret to our peace was and uh, we told them about salvation and uh, after listening they also wanted to accept Jesus as their Lord and personal Savior. So it's your choice to live the miraculous life. So all, all those stories were awesome, and um, I, I loved how um, Priya just kind of ended it there. And that's kind of what I, why I'm back here right now, is that we're finished with this series now, okay? And these are things that Jesus has taught us and shared with us. So the question is, uh, what are we going to do with this? And, and thank God that those 11 that were around the table with Jesus took those truths and those promises and ran forward because we're the beneficiaries of that today. The reason we even know about God and Jesus is because they lived out those truths. And so the question again is, this isn't a history lesson. We didn't do this just so we could answer a few more questions about the Bible. We really are doing this so that we can be unleashed in a fresh way uh, to take God's truth uh, to the people in our lives. So why don't you stand with me and let me just kind of close us uh, in prayer here as we ask God to move in us. So, God, thank you for these amazing truths, and you did not share these with us just to make us a little more intelligent about the Bible, but really, you've given us these so that we can live out this amazing life that you're calling us to. I pray uh, for uh, the men in this room. I pray for those that are husbands to, to take these truths and to love their wives and serve their lives, that you would regenerate and just restore and bless the marriages in this room. And I pray for parents in this room, God, to take these truths to their kids and that there would be many, many just families just rising up and being used by you because we're just running after what you've given us here. And I pray, God, all of us um, are going to be stepping out of this place in a few minutes here into neighborhoods, into workplaces, into schools. And God, would you just keep using your people as we just follow you, as we then experience all these gifts from you. May we be faithful to just let this whole community, let this whole world know about how awesome you are. Thank you that you will be with us. And I thank you in advance for the stories that we will continue to hear. In your great name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.